I hate to say this, but I just want to let you know that I'm totally... Rolling, take one. Is it going to be all right? Welcome to All Through a Lens. This is the podcast about film photography where we discuss a little more than just film photography. I'm Vanya. And I'm Eric. On today's episode, we're talking movies and how they influence our work. We'll have a couple of zine reviews and some super technical gear talk. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, But first, uh, Vanya, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. I had a pretty good week. Waves have been non-existent, so that kind of sucks. A uh, good week despite the waves. I've been, you know, shooting a lot. Uh, nothing's come out, but I'm trying to keep a positive attitude. Yeah, you've had, what, three rolls kind of go to shit for you? Yeah, yeah. My C41 was done. Yeah, it was. This was probably the first time I tried to develop two rolls at once. I usually just do one at a time. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> it just so happens that the one time that I decide to do two rolls... It, it took both of them out. Yeah, yeah. and I, I had a date on the bottle, but I'm just... Always trying to push it. Well, I have new color. I will mix when I feel like it. <laughs> I tried to actually like regain too. And I was like, I'll just, you know, develop one roll of black and white. It was, a, it was actually Rolly Super Pan 200. I was really excited about it. Oh, wait, that's the that's the third roll that you lost? The, the Super Pan? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that hurts. Yeah, I that know. Hurts. If it was Kent Mirror, I'd have been like, eh, whatever. But no, it was... Yeah, those memories can suck it. Yeah, so my Extol finally died. So my whole like, oh, I just keep reusing my chemicals for seven months. Yeah, it just... Yeah, it's it. almost like not doing what they recommend is a bad idea. Again, I like to push it. You do. Anyways, how have you been? Um, It's been kind of an unproductive week. I've had lots of ideas, uh, including uh, several zine ideas. I uh, had some podcasting ideas. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've shot zero photos and I have developed zero photos. Wait, you shot some photos. Okay. I did shoot some photos. You're right. That was the one at the uh, the, uh, parking garage. Yes. Yes. I did shoot a roll and a half at a parking garage. I was hoping to get those developed by now, but I'm kind of lazy sometimes. So Vanya, you've been on the other side of the camera uh, last weekend, were you not? Yes. I. It's totally not comfortable for me to be sitting for anybody, but I did. My friend Alexia asked me if I would come over and sit for her. Uh, she shot a roll of Delta 400, and we did some portraits, listened to some music. Uh, she shot with her Hasselblad. It was actually really fun. And, you know, she's a really good friend. We used to work together, and we share photography together. So, yeah. Aw, photo friend. <laughs> yeah, photo That's friends sweet. are fun. Photo friends. <laughs> photo like, friends are fun. We like photo friends. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I also went to the Skirball Center. They had photographs of Stanley Kubrick's work before he was a filmmaker. So that was really cool. Oh, and one last thing. (laughs) I kind of started a new hobby. Ooh, uh, model railroading. I knew it. I knew it was going to (laughs) get you. Yeah. No, 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 no. I got a four by five camera. Oh, shit. Yeah. I feel like this is like totally different than just like 35 and 120. This is just 
a whole new thing. I mean, I need to get a new scanner. Like my scanner won't even scan those giant negatives. Nope, I had to do the same thing when I made the switch over. It is like a new, completely new hobby. But I'm so excited. You should it's be. so pretty. So what camera did you get? I got a Graflex Pacemaker Crown Graphic. Ooh, nice, nice. You took it out well, last weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, I called you because yeah. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to shoot. <laughs> yeah, shoot so you, camera. <laughs> I was there when you took your first 4x5. Yeah. Yeah, it was really nice. I got a little weepy. <laughs> Just a little weepy. Our Vanya is all, she's growing up. <laughs> so you shot the parking garage. I did. And are you going to be shooting any more this weekend? What are you going to do? No, uh, every year, and we've kind of discussed this a little bit before, I take winters off. I do lots of projects through the winter, so I don't like abandon photography. And now with the podcast, I even have a- another project. It's kind of the end of the season for me. And I know that it's the end of the season because you get this really complete feel. You look at all of the negatives that you've taken through the entire year, and you're like, no, this is good. This is good. And you can see, well, here's where I started. And... Here's where I stopped. And both of those things feel right. The the weekend travels, the longer travels, even the day trips, probably done for the season. Uh, the last things I shot were wheat fields that had been harvested. And that's a very end of the season feel for me. You know, the wheat's in. So I'm kind of done. So you've developed everything that you shot. Shit, no. <laughs> no, I got to develop a lot of stuff. I'm not done. I'm just done shooting. I would really like to see how you're organizing all your negatives. That's true. I mean, if you have trouble sleeping, one of the things you could do <laughs> is listen to that and you could fall right the fuck to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> Okay, enough bullshit. Let's uh, check the answering machine. Yes, let's. So last episode, we asked listeners to call in to answer the question, how has cinematography and the movies in general influenced your work and the way you shoot? And we have got a number of messages to get through. Let's check them out. Hello, no one is available to take your call. Please leave a message after the tone. Hello, Eric and Vanya. This is Anthony Rue. I'm Kino underscore Pravda on Instagram. And as you might guess from my username, my primary cinematic influence would have been uh, Zika Vertov and his notion of constructivist uh, radical documentarian filming. Uh, and then after that, I think that my two major influences from cinematography would have been Raoul Godard, who was Godard's cinematographer, specifically his later work with uh, films like Two or Three Things I Know About Her and the way that uh, urban landscapes are, are filmed. And then finally, Tonino Delacoli, who was the cinematographer for Sergio Leone, and specifically Once Upon a Time in the West, which is the most amazing use of panoramas and cinemascope. And it is, uh, to me, it just defines the look of cinema and it's something I shoot for with my landscapes. Thanks, keep up the work, fantastic show. I haven't seen any of those, (laughs) but maybe I should. You should. I honestly, I haven't seen it either. I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in the West. That's one of those movies that I keep meaning to see. I keep missing it. And uh, we recently watched the trailer for it. Oh, yeah, that's the Spaghetti Western, right? It is a Spaghetti Western. And it's beautiful landscapes. I think that if I hadn't been to Monument Valley prior to seeing uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, that would make me want to go to Monument Valley. Of course, Monument Valley is more famous for John Ford, who shot 
an ass load of movies there, usually passing it off for Texas, which if you've been to Texas, doesn't make a lot of sense. Hello, Jonas here again, Kolomantorn from Sweden, enjoying a walk through the Halloween neighborhood with the kids shouting for candy. I guess where I got most of my cinematic feels from was probably the channel TCM that we pirated from a satellite thingy and uh, uh, all those age-old black-and-white movies and uh, also Cartoon Network where it's over-dramatic shows of how characters react. Uh, I remember I really liked those uh, zoom-ins on certain objects like a window uh, with the curtains blowing in the wind and uh, a Got cut off a little bit there. I absolutely love when he calls in. Yeah, I do too. He, he's he's definitely one of my favorites. Please never stop calling in. I'm getting old. Yeah, Marley watches Cartoon Network, and I'll sit there and you know try to watch for a minute, and they're just like crazy high energy, like so much emotion, like back and forth and close up and loud music. I'm just really getting old, I guess. Yeah, and. They should get off your lawn, Vanya. They really should. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, if I could bootleg any channel, it would be TCM. I often message you saying, oh, hey, this movie is playing on TCM. You got to go record it. And you often say that you will. Yeah, they're recorded. I just haven't watched them yet. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) You're halfway there. I'm not a big movie watcher. I want to be. I want to watch more movies. I just, I can't stay still. Cinematography influenced my photography when I was younger and first saw Napoleon Dynamite for the first time. There was something about those wide open shots and those mountain scenes that, for some reason, just really got to me. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so glad someone called and chose Napoleon Dynamite. That's just wonderful. (laughs) I'm very happy. And this was this someone was Hannah, Hannah Grace, yes. or the yes. first guest we ever had. And Yay. it's wonderful to hear from her again. Please never stop calling. <laughs> I saw Napoleon Dynamite when it came out, <laughs> and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I didn't consciously notice the landscapes, but I also hadn't been in that part of Idaho before. And, and I never really made the connection, but I love those kind of like very flat with like mountains off in the distance, kind of Utah pulls that shit sometimes. It's mm-hmm. it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. It kind of sets Napoleon Dynamite in like kind of a, a world of its own, even though it's it says it's in Preston, Idaho, and it was filmed in Preston, Idaho, but it still just seems a little a touch otherworldly. Napoleon, don't be jealous that I've been chatting online with babes all day. From Eisenstein, an appreciation of the square, which for medium format shooting was hugely important, as well as understanding how to create a story by the collision of frames together in editing. For film noir, just dealing with the grit and the light and the drama, that is something that I've used frequently. Kubrick, the appreciation for lenses and the craft, what different optics can do in terms of crafting an image, too. And I will just add that I think people should find Le Jete, Chris Marker, as a book and look at that if they're photographers. Don't watch the film version of it first. Just get the book. I think it'll make sense to you in terms of how cinema... I'd have to second Eisenstein, and of course Kubrick, but Eisenstein is kind of where everything started. He was kind of the the inventor of montage editing. As far as the book he suggested, La Jetée, it's available on, on that big Amazon place. 
probably worth it. I haven't I haven't actually looked at it. I looked at a few of the pictures. Yeah, I looked the... at the pictures. They look pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, very dark and uh, moody. I, I'm into it. It's a post apocalyptic sci fi narrative composed entirely of still images. That's the movie, and so the book is those still images. And I'm not sure why this was Space Critter calling in. I'm not sure why he suggests uh, looking at the book rather than seeing the movie first. But hey, why not? You got to do one first, so do the book. This is Robert Elgato Magnifico for what it's worth. When I first saw Citizen Kane, I wasn't doing photography, but it immediately struck me that the use of the camera and angles to create drama was a big part of what makes for a modern film. When I finally had the patience to sit through Close Encounters of the Third Kind, I saw how the same tactic was then taken from the more concrete drama of people and their conversations to something more amorphous like a flying saucer in the distance. And I've noticed this a lot in a lot of posts that get reshared over and over again, 10,000 likes, usually a color photo, that in some way is sort of creating this movie without a name, some sort of nameless drama. And uh, uh, I've been interested in trying to create them mostly by accident, but I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated in the idea. Yeah, I noticed actually he's been posting some some dramas going on and some, some actual car accidents <laughs> or post-accidents. Curious fact about me, my first exposure to Citizen Kane was not actually Citizen Kane. It was the cartoon, The Real Ghostbusters. They did a weird spoof on Citizen Kane. Uh, it was bizarre. It had Rosebud in it. it. I didn't get it, but at the end, it still surprised me what Rosebud actually was. So, mission accomplished, Real Ghostbusters. <laughs> Okay, so I guess we should try to answer this question as well. Vanya, how have the movies and cinematography affected your work? Okay, first of all, I don't really watch movies often. That's true. <laughs> but there are a few movies that stand out, and Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, his version, is definitely one of them. I like how you, I like how you say his version, like you're justifying the 90s version somehow. <laughs> I haven't actually seen that version. Okay. Envision shitty CGI plant lions. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> I mean, it's just one of my favorite movies. I really just love the look of the film, the color. I love all the low angles, the steady cam shots where they're like just about at ground level and they follow Danny on his big wheel and you can like hear the noise and he's just like, you know, going around. I used to have a big wheel when I was a kid. Oh, we all did. Know. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, yeah, big wheels are awesome. I actually ripped the seat off of mine and I would like step on the back and like push it. Like it. No rules for you. No, never. But I just love that movie. And, you know, my daughter is 12 and I let her watch it, I think, last year. And she's totally obsessed now, too. She loves that movie. It's just I think I definitely draw from that. Stanley Kubrick, for many years before making movies, was a photographer. And I feel like so many of his movies, you could really see that. They get the in The Shining, especially the, the, the shots of the corridor that really stands out. Yeah. And he really focuses on, he focuses on patterns and things like that. And those can be motion, but there's a lot of motion in his still work as well. So what's your answer? I've been racking my brain about this. I'm not sure that I know how or if cinematography has affected, has like influenced me at all. I really don't know. Uh, I like landscapes and I know different photographers who have influenced me, but the movies, I just, I'm not, I'm not sure. 
So I've been meaning to try different compositions, and I've been thinking a lot about uh, a TV show that literally nobody watches called Mr. Robot. The director, Sam Esmail, he frames things not in like rule of thirds or anything like that, but by quarters. And so it makes a very unsettling picture. We're just not used to, to seeing things that way. Uh, also, as far as color goes, I think I'm kind of influenced by like the 70s gritty crime movies where they couldn't afford to bleach their film all the way. So you have a kind of a bleach bypass thing going. I like that. So shitty color and bleach bypass are kind of my jam. Also, I live in Seattle and we get a lot of rain, but not like a lot of rain. But if we did get a lot of rain, I would like to shoot it the way Akira Kurosawa shot the rain in Rashomon. You can just you, you feel like just soaked watching the movie. And not just because it's a good movie. Okay. So funny story about Rashomon, actually, real quick. Um, oh, no. Vanya and I were talking, and I was talking about, oh, I want to show you this movie or that movie. <laughs> what What did you say? I said, sure, that's fine. Just don't make me watch Rashomon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it did. It broke my heart. <laughs> it broke my heart so much, guys. Every so often, we'll put down the cameras and pick up some popcorn and take in a movie. Since this is a photography podcast, we won't just watch any movie, but a movie that has something to do with photography. For our first ever movie night, we watched Alfred Hitchcock's 1954 film Rear Window, starring James Stewart, Grace Kelly, and Thelma Ritter. So, Vanya, this is the first time you've ever seen any movie ever, right? Basically, yeah. Okay, good. So, uh, just... uh, Warning to all those folks out there. We will be probably dropping spoilers. Uh, You can watch the movie before you listen to this or don't. Uh, But basically, this is what it's about. Jimmy Stewart plays L.B. Jeffries, a sports photographer who is injured and in a wheelchair. To pass the time, he watches his neighbors out of his rear window, basically like he's watching a movie, interested but uninvolved. His favorite, much to the eye-rolling of his girlfriend Lisa, played by Grace Kelly, and his nurse, played by Thelma fucking Ritter, is Miss Torso. He gives most of the neighbors names since he doesn't really know them. But there's also Miss Lonely Hearts, the newlyweds, the sculptor, the couple on the balcony with the dog and the composer. There's also Mr. and Mrs. Thorwald, the couple who bitterly argue. One night after a scream, Mrs. Thorwald is gone. And Jeff sees Mr. Thorwald leaving the apartment several times carrying a large suitcase and even a trunk. What happened to Mrs. Thorwald? That's the whole point of the movie. Uh, What follows is an exploration of voyeurism and its consequences. So we selected Rear Window because Jimmy Stewart's character uh, is a photographer. That's pretty obvious. As we'll see, his profession sets up the entire premise of the film. The movie opens with a sequence showing Stewart in a wheelchair with his leg in a cast, a broken camera, a photo of a race car accident, which is probably how the camera and the leg was broken. And from this, we learn everything we need to learn about why Jeff is stuck in his apartment without a single word being spoken. And that's pretty impressive, but also it's Hitchcock, so what do you expect? So, okay, this was your first time watching Rear Window. So what did you think of it overall, Vanya? I enjoyed the way that Hitchcock tells so much of the story without words. 
looking through and following Jeff's story in the beginning and the neighbors over the rest of the movie, you know, like a silent movie. Hitchcock got a start in silent film. And there's actually, oh, I don't know, maybe 15 silent films that he did prior to the talkies. Uh, the last one he did was called Blackmail, and that was a talkie and also a silent. He, he shot it as a silent and added, added the, the talkies later. But if you'll notice in the background of Rear Window, a lot of the characters, especially Miss Lonely Hearts, they're very theatrical, like they were shot in silent films, and definitely like, like Hitchcock shot people in silent films. And through the array of of apartments that you can see across the courtyard from Jeff's rear window. There's several different silent films going on all at once. This is probably the film where Hitchcock drew upon his silent film career more than any of his other films that I can think of. In the original short story, the character Jeff was not a photographer. There was, But Hitchcock kind of, I was going to say a creep, but he was kind of an abusive asshole. Hitchcock became obsessed with Ingrid Bergman while directing her in Spellbound and Notorious about a decade before. Bergman, however, I mean, they, nobody really returned the love of Hitchcock. Bergman, she was in love with a World War II photographer named Robert Kappa. Uh, he, like Jeff in the film, was incredibly noncommittal, tried, didn't, didn't really seem to want anything too much to do with Bergman in the long term. Hitchcock, however, couldn't wrap his head around how someone couldn't be in love with Bergman. So in Rear Window, he recreated this relationship. To help us discuss Rear Window, we thought we'd talk to someone with a background in both photography and motion pictures. You may know her as Look Up Hannah on Instagram, and she's appeared in TV shows such as Rain, Supernatural, and The Flash, as well as a reboot of Child's Play. So yes, let's give Hannah Drew a call. Uh, hey, Hannah. Yes. This is Eric and Vanya from All Through a Lens. Oh, hi. Uh, we've been talking about Hitchcock's Rear Window, Ooh. and we were wondering if we could ask you your thoughts on it here and there. Yes, yes, please do. I, I love I love Rear Window, and I'm a Jimmy Stewart fan, so I mean, I'm probably more biased in favor of Jimmy than Hitchcock. So yes, maybe I'll have an opinion. Before we get to that, on the podcast, yeah. every episode we ask the listeners to call in uh, with an answer to a question that we posed to them. And so this episode's question was, how has cinematography and the movies in general influenced your work and the way you shoot? So I went to school for theater and drama studies, and part of that involved film studies. And so for me, I came to photography probably more through cinematography than just being introduced to standard like analog film photography. Um, so I think... Weirdly, I think probably the the person who um, influenced. Have you seen The King's Speech? Mm, yes. No. Oh, what? I know. Really? Okay. So the film was directed by Tom Hooper, and the cinematography was by Danny Cohen. And I read something very early on about uh, the use of negative space in the film. And once it was pointed out to me, I kind of, like, couldn't stop thinking about it. And even now, like, I'll just be like, yeah, negative space. Yeah, beautiful. Oh, yeah, Colin Firth in the corner. And that, I think, really, really made me start seeing images in frame. I think, like, that is that is definitely something I look for a lot when I take pictures is sort of, like, what is the context of this object in the world as opposed to just this object. So I try to do a lot of, like, how much space does this take up? And why? Like, how much space emotionally do I feel it 
has earned mm. that it's worth of my film. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's let's get into it. Um, yeah. So first question. In um, the original short story, the character of Jeff had no specified occupation. Hitchcock, however, made him a photographer. How do you think this adds to the basic story? I think it's a really important change. I think it makes his character a lot more complex because he's somebody who is voyeuristic not only of curiosity and boredom, but now out of a professional desire to, to view something. And I think it's also interesting because he, he talks a lot about his photography, especially early on the film, and and he and Lisa talk about like what he likes to put pictures of. And she talks about, or she suggests that he do portraits and when you first that first like pan across the room you show um a negative of his portrait of lisa which i think is like literally he thinks negatively about the idea of portrait photography so the only portrait we see is of lisa and he doesn't want to be a part of her world when i was watching it i was like every time he said something horrible to her i was like just leave like fuck this guy just get yeah. out of there like i <laughs> <laughs> I know you're Jimmy Stewart, but honestly, what an asshole. And so to set up, set him up as both this, like, as somebody who, who has an objection to the kind of photography that she represents, I think strengthens his uh, position at the beginning of the movie as somebody who's not interested in people, who's not interested in their lives. And when they talk about what he wants to do, it's about, I think, like, the idea is he wants to be involved in spectacle and even that picture of the crash on the racetrack you only see the man's back like you don't see the driver's face because the person's not important the wreck is he doesn't care about the people in the apartments he doesn't care about mrs thorvald he he likes the spectacle of it initially he's in it because he's getting off on watching the spectacle of these people's lives that aren't his life or allows us to examine the idea that, like, as a photographer, you're detached from your subject and the ethics involved in that. What is your responsibility as observer of a situation? Are you there to be a witness or are you there to be a person? Sort of, this comes up in the film and the idea that, like, you know, at the end when Mrs. Lonely Hearts is about to commit suicide, Jeff's not interested in it because she's not the spectacle he wants to watch. No, they actually forget about her. They forget about her. Yeah. And it's like, and Stella says, oh, she's going to commit suicide. And they don't do anything about it. No. And <laughs> Yeah, they like, just stand back a lot of the times, which is so weird to me. You yeah. Because you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> do something. <laughs> like, call the fucking cops. Yeah. Thelma Ritter's line, we've become a race of peeping toms. How does this apply to us now, especially with Instagram and everyone having cameras? I know that you just kind of mentioned that a little bit. Let's get a little bit more into that. So I think in terms of the context of the movie was is more about the idea of us living in kind of like a rabbit warren and still being so detached from our neighbor. And I think social media takes that and then just blows it wide open, like just expands on it. It's like, what a great premise. Let's not connect. Perfect. You can go on forums like Reddit and stuff and you can read everything and be a voyeur and feel like you're part of that conversation even though your presence is absolutely invisible to everybody else, which is something that you can't do as a photographer. You can't do as anybody out in the world. You can be one who like walks down the street and does street photography and you just take a snap. But if the person you're taking a picture of looks at you and you make eye contact, that's an invitation for a social interaction that you're not going to get online because they don't know that you're there. Like, but you feel like you've participated. 
and it's interesting that like in rear window that kind of manifests with the idea that jeff is above being observed everybody else is on display for him but he's like no turn the lights off no stay in the shadows he does not want to be on display the same way that everybody else is basically when jeff sends the note like what have you done with her that's trolling he's just trolling he's just being a dick on reddit so he's literally just trolling on twitter so should we watch other people's lives just so we can feel better about our own? Um, and was this what Jeff was doing? I don't think we're ever going to not watch other people's lives because we are such social creatures, just mm-hmm. you know, down to our bones. I love watching people. I, I think that's part of why I really have been drawn to photography recently is that I think like following people down the street to get that little moment is great. I'm still getting over the social challenge of being like having eye contact made. I think you're watching someone's life fall apart and you're like, whew, my life's not that bad. That can be negative because it allows you to be complacent in not reaching out to somebody else. But if you watch somebody who like sings to themselves while they're making breakfast, it's like, oh, I do that too. I'm a totally normal person. Oh my God, I talk to myself too. And it's reassuring and it makes you feel not alone. It makes you, that generates a bond between you and somebody who you may not have even met yet. But I, I think like what you come away with at the end of the movie, especially when they pan across everything, you see what makes them human. Like Miss Torso's boyfriend comes home from the war and he's not one of the hot young men that she's been entertaining, but she's so happy to see him. Yeah. You know, and that's something truthful. And you see um, the couple upstairs, she gets a new puppy and she's training and she's so gentle and happy with it. And you're like, oh, that's really sweet. You see the woman sunbathing next door or downstairs next door who's, she's asleep. That's a very vulnerable thing to do in public. And so I think like at the end, it's a much more sympathetic view of the people in the buildings that we're observing them all still, but they're not evil they're not wicked they're not all murdering their husbands and wives they're just living their lives and jeff's happy not to observe it but lisa's still kind of like she's reading but she's right by the window they're both right by the window allowing themselves to be observed by everybody else as well you know so they're they're participating in the observation sort of so which apartment is yours i think miss miss torso and maybe that's because i just want to be vain but i started doing ballet this year and i'm extremely bad at it um but i like the first time she came on film i was like oh that's gonna be me that's me and then i was like oh she's the the pretty one who gets all the boys and that's just not me but the way that she just like will do whatever in front like she i think is the most free in front of her window she she never lowers her blinds like she's never like i mean even the musician's like cleaning his house at one point like now beach i'm gonna do that i'm just gonna dance in front of my window and if you're looking you're looking i'll be in my underwear and i have a huge window in my bedroom that faces onto an alley you know what i'm gonna st- i'm not gonna bother closing my blinds if people look people look i'm gonna change my window i'm gonna dance in front of my window i don't care and i believe in that strongly until someone comes walking down the alley and then i suddenly duck out of sight and i'm like oh my god they almost saw me naked <laughs> and but i think despite the vanity in saying so, I think I'd probably be Miss Torso. I am too. Yeah, right? I changed change with my windows open too. So. Yeah. Because who cares? Exactly. Do you care? I change in the parking lot, like at the beach, you know? It's yeah. Just, I towel change in the lot. And sometimes I think about it like, you know, it's super crazy that I just do this. It's not even a deal at all. <laughs> Eric, what about you? 
My first thought was the composer, uh, yes. based mostly because he had he had a party, which I which I don't do, but uh, <laughs> but during the party he he got sad a little bit and kind of went off on his own, and that that's it's very me, uh, but I. <laughs> think it's a combination of him and the sculptor though yeah. i guess for my money i would be i'd be stella would yeah. you though yeah would absolutely. you be stella oh, over, so would. yes absolutely yeah i think jeff is kind of a very ignorant person and stella is the exact opposite of that oh <laughs> uh, she's just she, she has that that homegrown wisdom that you just wish you had but as a photographer yourself is there not something sort of about Stella that's inherently lacking curiosity that is not you? Well, I mean, Eric, you don't shoot people. You, no, not at all. You I... are like, you go in the middle of nowhere where no one's watching and she's very not into him looking out the window and you're very respectful of other people's privacy. <laughs> I think I would be more like her than anybody, yeah. Yeah. I think if, if she had a camera she and i would take the same pictures yeah i, I think, think so. so i think so <laughs> i and can that, see that it's, it's, and it's not just because i'm i'm, I'm deeply in love with thelma ritter it's, it's, <laughs> you kind of are though, so it's am, perfect. Though. <laughs> i mean i also think it's probably pretty telling of ourselves that we don't want to see ourselves in jeff even though we're all photographers yep so yeah, the last question is a question we'll be asking <laughs> listeners as well jeff was an action photographer back in the 50s and they used film of course so what do you think we lost in the switch over to digital? We have we gained a lot, you know, speed especially. But did we lose something? Or are we just is fine now that we're shooting digital with action shots? In terms of what we've lost shooting, you lose a lot of the risk because you don't got to stand in front of the car and wait, <laughs> wait, wait to get hit. I mean, I don't know that it's a bad thing, but you lose some of the competition by by making everything happen so much faster. You have so much more time to get it right in, and you have so many more opportunities to get. You have endless opportunities to get it right. So I think you lose some of that that, that frenetic competition of like this has to be it, and and putting yourself in a situation that's going to be uncomfortable. Not always dangerous, but uncomfortable. I think digital photography allows you to be very, very safe and you have a million shots and one of them will be okay. Whereas with traditional photography, you, you gotta, you gotta nail it. You have that one shot and you don't even know if you've got it. So you're going to put more of yourself into a situation that's more likely to yield you something spectacular than you might if you're shooting digital. Yeah. I think. I agree. Yeah. That's my thesis on that. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) Uh, thank you so much for chatting with us for a little bit. It was really awesome. Uh, we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. Had a lot of fun. Yay. Yeah. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. We don't usually go into gear talk on all through a lens, but for this movie... Maybe it would be okay. For instance, when looking through his long lens, Stuart didn't use a tripod. And to film close-up shots as if we were looking through Jeff's camera, the cinematographer used a movie camera with a telephoto lens mounted on a crane in the courtyard. The camera used by L.B. Jeffries in Rear Window is an Exacta Varex. It's also known as a VX in the North American market. The prominent lens used in the movie is a Kilfit Telekillar 5.6 400mm.
Now, I know what you're thinking. The Kilfit Company never made a lens with an exact amount. And you know what? Fine, you're right. However, if you take a closer look, you will see that an adapter mount was used to connect the lens to the camera. See, the Kilfit Company shipped each lens with an interchangeable mount. While some were made for exact amounts, others were manufactured for- Watch out for snakes. Did you just watch out for snakes, me? Yes. Yes, you are doing it again. Ugh. I'm that guy. Yes, you are. I'm gear talk guy. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> About a month or so ago, we did a camera exchange. I mailed out my Hasselblad, and you said you would send me your exacta. Yeah. Well, I finally got it, and I've been shooting with it. The first roll I shot, I forgot to push the button on the bottom of the camera. So when I was rewinding it, I really wasn't. Now you got to push that button, and otherwise you're not rewinding anything. Yeah, thanks a lot. I uh, didn't lose all the images, though, and the ones that came out were really fun. I shot a roll of color, which I completely destroyed, if you remember from earlier. Yeah. And I shot some Ketmere while I was roller skating on the Strand uh, a couple days ago. How did that turn out? Fun. It turned out fun. Yeah, it was Great. fun. I mean, the whole roll wasn't me roller skating on the Strand. I, it was like half a roll because, you know, I can't shoot. I can't shoot a ton of photos in one session. I don't know. I'm just a weirdo. I get it. So I remember when you were about to go roller skating on the Strand, because everybody knows what the Strand is. Uh, They should. You sent me a photo of yourself holding up a little roll of film, and it was Kodak Plus X, kind of expired. And you ask, where do I shoot this? And I said, 50 ISO. And you very grumpily replied, I guess I'm going to shoot a bunch of blurry photos then. Yeah. So... I try to help. Yeah, by sending me 50 ISO and 6 ISO and 3 you ISO. You live in California. This should not be an issue. Can you imagine if I'm like skating down the strand with a fucking tripod in my hand? <laughs> I don't, I'm all flustered. I don't know. Just go on. Just go okay. on. Okay. I am not technical, but I will try for the gear people out there. You sent me two bodies yes. just in case one broke, which, you know, yeah, that's exactly? always very, very not stressful at all. One was a waist-level viewfinder and one with a prism. Uh, you also sent me two lenses, a 2.0 58mm and a 3.5 35mm. I've been favoring the 58 for a couple of reasons. I usually like 50s on 35mm cameras, so the 58's kind of perfect. It has a really badass shutter button attached to the lens, and it also has this thing called semi-automatic aperture system. Watch out for snakes. Oh, really? <laughs> you gonna watch out for snakes, me, now, yeah, because yeah. I did to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, keep, keep going, please. Please. All right. Don't let me stand in the way of your gear talk. <laughs> I've been using the waist level finder, but ended up switching it out on the roll that I shot while I was roller skating so I could quickly shoot. I did try a few images in portrait with the waist level, and it was so damn hard. Yeah, you really don't need to do that. You don't need <laughs> to do was, that at all. The waist I, level is great, but you can't use it for portraits. I mean, I did shoot one picture. I will post it. So is that the one with the Shining Girls? Yes. Oh, Nice. That was a, a little, little bit, bit on the soft focus, but I yeah, think I did okay. You did. That was that's one of my favorite photos ever. <laughs> so the Exacta is kind of a backwards camera or a camera for lefties, and you're not a lefty. So yeah. how do you feel about all of that? I I like the fact that the shutter button and the film advance are on the left hand side. I haven't found it strange to shoot that way for some reason. I am right handed, but I shoot with my left eye, and I don't mind using my left hand either. I guess. 
It makes it feel like somebody else is shooting, I guess. And I'm moving on. The Exacta is a sturdy son of a bitch. It has yeah. some weight to it, and I love it. The body feels good in my hands. Hey! <laughs> it's just a solid camera, which I enjoy. It's like driving an old car. It just has that weight. It feels good. This is the dirtiest camera know, review ever. Stop. Sorry. <laughs> stop it. I don't necessarily want to give it back right away. And since you gave me two bodies and have clearly stated you have are done shooting for the winter, I'm probably going to keep one of them at least for a tiny bit longer. You know what? Keep both of them because oh, one will break. <laughs> yeah, that is awful. Like opening a box and I'm like, wait a minute, there's two cameras in here. And he's like, yeah, just because, you know, one might break. That's not a good sign. They're exactas. You look at it the wrong way. It's broken. The oldest one, which is the the VX, is the one that, that shoots more reliably than all of them, which is kind of neat that the oldest one is the best. So all in all, you dig the exacta? Yeah, I do. Would you switch over all of your 35 to the Exacta system? If I could find a water housing for it, I might sink to the bottom. It would be good for diving, though. Right, are we done with that then? I don't know. I kind of feel like that little like semi-automatic aperture system like thing on the 58 is so cool, and I didn't really like talk about it. It's not. It's not that cool. Fanya and I were both into zines from a young age. Back then it was punk rock and punk rock and a bit more punk rock, but now it's film photography with still quite a bit of punk rock. So we've got a couple of zines to review this episode. The first, we'll let Vanya handle. The zine I picked for this episode is Film in Hawaii. Aloha Big Mike is one of my favorite accounts on Instagram. He shoots film, he has a community darkroom in Hawaii, and sings show tunes on his story. If you don't follow him, you seriously should. He recently made a zine through Blurb, and I'm impressed. It's really more like a magazine. It's about 60 pages with a wide range of surreal scenes taken on the big island. You would think that living on an island, there wouldn't be much variety, but Mike really captures a wide range of nature, from beautiful serene waterfalls to unforgiving volcanic eruptions. From the ocean images with his Nikonos to snow-capped mountains. It's been sitting on my coffee table for the past few weeks, and I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Mike. Uh, you can find it on Blurb, and we will put that in the show notes. It's true. The scene I picked out this week is similar to Vanya's in that it is not exactly a zine per se. This is Sneer and Self-Loathing. It's a 140-page, half-sized, black-and-white, perfect-bound book by Andrew D. McLeese. He describes it as a diary of two days and nights spent in Las Vegas, ambling around drunk in a depressive fugue state. This is something I've always wanted to do, uh, maybe not the drunken ambling, but shooting a huge chunk of photos in a couple of days. The book is laid out chronologically, mostly with a single photo per spread. At intervals, a photo will span the pages, effectively serving as a chapter stop. There's much to see here. Uh, it's really a large chunk of a book. It's wordless, but uh, as it's a photo diary, words really aren't applicable here. It is 20 bucks, and it is available at frozenwaste.land. Again, we'll be in the show notes. Pick it up. Very worth your time. And that's about all the podcasts we've got for you today. So what is your takeaway from the episode, Vanya? 
sitting down and watching more movies. Yeah, I think that's a good idea for everybody, really. Yeah, what about you? I I would like to pay more attention to the visuals and cinematography in movies. When I watch movies, I'm really into it for the story. I'm into the story. So if it's a good story, I'm hooked. If it looks like shit, I don't know if I really care. Uh, consciously, anyway. I'm, I'm sure I do subconsciously. But what I want to do is start paying attention to the visuals. And if that means seeing a good movie a couple of times... There are worse things to do than watch the movie twice. So we basically have the opposite problem. I'm in it for the visuals. And if I'm not hooked with visuals, then I will not pay attention to the story. (laughs) And you're the opposite. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much, which is weird for a photographer. For me, not for you, but for me. I need to get my shit together. All right, let's get out. So if you'd like to contact us, we're at allthroughalens.podcast on Instagram. By email, it's allthroughalens.podcast at gmail. We are on Twitter, but Eric doesn't do anything for it, so we're there, and we still do not have a website, and we are not on Facebook. Vanya is Surf Martian. And Eric is Conspiracy of Cartographers with dots in between. Both on Instagram. We also do a Spotify playlist for each episode, so check those out and see what we're listening to. Just search all through a lens. You can also find our episodes on Spotify, as well as Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever the hell else you find your podcasts. Subscribe and leave a review. The music you're hearing now is from Last Regiment of Syncopated Drummers, which you can find at lastregiment.com. And thank you all so, so much for listening. We really appreciate it. See you in a couple of weeks. Vanya. Yes. Do you want to go out and shoot? Fuck yeah, I do. Well, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I just snorted.